Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out front next, the breaking news. Trump threatens, quote, chaos and bedlam. In a new Supreme Court ruling, the man who told his supporters to fight on January 6th says if he doesn't get his way, all hell will break loose. Plus, our Voters Out Front series tonight. The voters Nikki Haley is depending on to carry her to victory. It is actually not who you think. Wait till you see this one. And as Prince William visits his wife in the hospital, we are learning more about Princess Kate's health, diet, why is the 42-year-old mother of three sidelined for months over a mysterious surgery? Let's go out front. And good evening. I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news, chaos and bedlam. President Trump warning tonight that if the Supreme Court does not get him back on the ballot in Colorado, there will be, and this is from the filing, chaos and bedlam. That warning from Trump comes in a formal legal brief submitted to the Supreme Court just moments ago. Well, keep in mind, this is the same Trump that lit the fire leading to the insurrection on January 6th. And now it's the message he's sending to his millions of supporters. Chaos and bedlam. Warning that efforts to keep him off state ballots, quote, promise to unleash chaos and bedlam if other state courts and state officials follow Colorado's lead and exclude the likely Republican presidential nominee from their ballots. Now, putting aside what you think about names coming off the ballot, the way that this is written is a chilling warning. And remember, it is not the first time Trump has said this. Here he is just last week. That will be bedlam in the country. It's a very bad thing. It's a very bad precedent. As we said, it's the opening of a Pandora's box. Bedlam in the country. Now, of course, we've seen what that looks like. I mean, just to go back here and, and lay this out, I want to share a few of the tweets that Trump set, sent in the days and weeks leading up to January 6th. On December 12th, we have just begun to fight. He types with three uh, exclamation points in all caps. On the 19th of December, big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. We'll be wild. And December 26th, history will remember. Never give up. See everyone in D.C. on January 6th. And then this is what followed as Trump spoke to charged up supporters on January 6th. Those words were followed by this, bedlam and chaos. Paula Reed is out front live in Washington. And Paula, what else is in this new filing from Trump to the Supreme Court? Well, Aaron here, the Trump legal team expanding their argument for why Trump should not be removed from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. 
At a top line, they're arguing that this would strip voters of their ability to choose a candidate and, quote, threaten to disenfranchise tens of millions of Americans and promise to unleash chaos in Bedlam if other state courts and state officials follow. Now, you noted that echoes a language that in the past has led to violence. But here it is also true, Aaron, that if the Supreme Court does not weigh in here and offer clarity, if each state is going about this a different way, that would prompt chaos and confusion. Now, they also detail their constitutional argument to the high court. They insist that this section of the Constitution does not apply to presidents because they are not, quote, officers of the United States. They also insist that Trump did not engage in an insurrection. Now, what's interesting about this, Aaron, is that it is highly unlikely that the court is going to want to touch this issue. Instead, we expect that they are going to focus on constitutional interpretation and not want to get into specifically what happened in and around January 6th. They also argue that it should be up to Congress not state officials to enforce this section of the Constitution. And they argue that it technically only prevents you from holding office, not from running for office. And of course, if you run for office and then you win, eventually you'd have to get to the question of, well, what about holding an office? But that would just be more work for the Supreme Court. At this point, Aaron, it's unclear how the high court is going to approach this case. They have not laid out the questions that they intend to answer. But of all Trump's legal issues, legal cases that we cover, this one has the strongest chance of, at a high level, uh, offering him a chance of success because it seems highly unlikely that the justices are going to want to strip voters of their choice of candidate. All right. Well, Paula, thank you very much. And everyone was with me. And, and, and Margaret, let's just start off with, as Paula says, um, you know, this, this, this may be a case, right, where the Supreme Court is uniform, right, and says he should be allowed to be on the ballot. But um, the, the, the issue seems to be the words that he used uh, in the filing. Chaos and bedlam will ensue. Well, it looks like Nikki Haley's right. Chaos does follow him everywhere. I, <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. Yep. <laughs> He's creating the chaos. And that is not just chaos that is incidental. That's a threat. That is not a warning that bad things are going to happen. That is a threat that he will make it so. And I, I just, we have to be really careful and take really seriously the fact that these aren't just words. This isn't just crazy rhetoric, as, you know, many Republican politicians often say, oh, the extortion, the crazy right. rhetoric is there. He has proven that that rhetoric can match violence at his calling, at his beckon calling. And that's what we should be careful about. I mean, David Urban, it is it is incredible when you look back, right, at what he has said before and what happened and fight for Trump. And it is that is what ensued. I mean, unfortunately, there is a playbook uh, and and he is choosing to use those words tonight. Yeah, look, so I, I, not surprisingly, I disagree. Right. So I, I, I think I just heard Paula say in, in your previous segment that if all these states, if, if there was a. A, 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 a mishmash of states across the United States. Some decided to keep the president on, the former president on the ballot. Some took him off. There would be chaos in Bedlam in terms of who could vote. Well, she said chaos vote. and confusion. Why would you be disinfor- Chaos and confusion. Okay, so chaos and confusion. We could wordsmith here, but there will be chaos and confusion. There will be bedlam. If, if Donald Trump, if the people who are running on a threat to democracy platform themselves try to strip democracy away from people by allowing them to have a vote at the polling place for who they choose to be president, that, that's going to create a lot of chaos in Bedlam. And, and I don't think it's, listen, you know, I, 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 the, pres, the former president and I, you know, we part ways on a lot of different things. In this case, I think his lawyers are right. And I think the word is, the wording is not, you know, too, too hyperbolistic. I think it would create chaos. It would create confusion. It would create Bedlam. 
Fan? I, I can't imagine. I'm here in Los Angeles. I can't imagine anybody walking into a courtroom telling the judge, Judge, if you, if you follow the law and the law gives you an outcome that I don't like, we're going to have chaos and bedlam here in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Uh, that person would be called a thug and carried right out the door. And so I understand uh, what David's saying, that if you, if you think what he means is chaos in terms of election officials might not know exactly what to do. And that's not what it sounds like, buddy. That's not what it sounds like coming from Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, people, it doesn't seem like there's any confusion from him what those words mean. I mean, it, it's not you saving, saying it, David Irvin. It's, <laughs> it's him. No, but talk about disenfranchisement. I mean, oh, my God. Well, okay, go ahead, David Axelrod. Yeah. No, look, there, there are two things can be true, right? I think there are real questions about what uh, it would mean to tell tens of millions of Americans that, right. they're, they're, that their choice, that they can't vote for their choice. But it's also true that Donald Trump has habitually used these words to provoke his supporters. And he has wielded it, David, uh, many, many times. He has suggested that uh, bad things will happen uh, if he doesn't get his way. And, and sometimes bad things have happened. So uh, the lawyers may have used these terms meaning one thing, but the problem is they come in the context of a guy who has used them in a quite different way uh, throughout his political career and sometimes to the great uh, detriment of the country. The messenger matters, Margaret. Uh, the messenger matters, the context matters. David, uh, d you know, uh, David, you have a point, right? You can't argue that you're in favor of democracy and then argue that Donald Trump's fair election would not be democratic. I, I give you that, right? But it's a choice of words and it's a context that is a clear dog whistle to his supporters, which we all, I mean, that's very difficult to deny. Listen, I got, I got, I got, I, I think I just converted Axe and, and Margaret, I think, in this No, 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 we so agreed with you on the democracy <laughs> point. Yeah, we disagree with your responsible rhetoric. I've been consistent on this issue. I'm troubled by the idea that people, uh, that, that tens of millions of people won't be able to vote. Uh, it's a serious question, though. The Colorado brief was, the Colorado decision was pretty well reasoned. And, you know, the court, I think they'll find a, an exit ramp before they have to actually decide okay. whether Donald Can Trump was an insurrectionist or not. Go ahead, Van. I, 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 think, I think you're right. But here, I mean, here's the deal. Usually it's my Republican friends who tell me that democracy by itself is a disaster. They say we have a democratic republic, which means that there are times when you do not let the majority have its will. If the majority said they wanted to take all the money from the billionaires, you say, no, hold on a second, that would be de democracy, but it would not fit with our system of government. The people that, the reason they passed that amendment is that they were concerned that people who had shown such disregard for this country uh, to launch the civil war would still be popular enough to somehow be elected and do more harm. And so it is the case that sometimes the framers and the people who make amendments say, we don't actually want a full-blown democracy because sometimes the masses of the people do things that are wrong. Usually Republicans are saying that. Right now, the Democrats are saying that, that, yeah. that, that there's a reason for this amendment, that there can be people who are popular, who are well-liked, who are well-loved, but who are too dangerous to hold office, and people who have been a part of insurrections fall in that category. All right, I want to ask about one other thing well, that happened today, and this was actually about Biden. Uh, Biden has been trying to make inroads on Trump, uh, which he's now pretty much acknowledging it's a two-person race, too, by the way he's, he's behaving. Uh, and he went to North Carolina and was hitting Trump on the economy, which is different than how he often does on this democracy issue, okay? But today it was on the economy. And I want to play something that Trump said recently, followed by what Biden responded today. Here it is. When there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next 12 months. Because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. He wants to see the stock market crash. You know why? He doesn't want to be the next Herbert Hoover. As I told him, 
He's already Hoover. He's the only president to be president for four years and lose jobs, not gain any jobs. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, Van, is this a winning message for Biden or not? Getting any traction? Well, listen, right now, this polling on the economy is really, really terrible. His numbers on the economy are actually pretty good. And so he's in this weird uh, 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 middle ground where he's got to start making the case for himself on, on the economy. I don't think he's the best messenger for himself, by the way. I think these union guys who've been out there, who've been benefiting from him, should be speaking up. I think that the, uh, the solar engineers and other people who are working in red states putting up wind farms, they should be speaking up. I think he should get other people to speak up for him on the economy. But I think he's trying to fill that gap between his, uh, his poll performance and his actual performance on the economy. David Axrod? Yeah, look, I think that... Uh he has tried to tout his economic accomplishments, and frankly, some of the numbers are, are very, very impressive. But you can't jawbone people into feeling better. They either are or they aren't, and, and sometimes they lag the economic uh, statistics. I think what he needs to do is set up a comparative that he, he engages in often uh, about the economy, about advocacy. Uh, a lot of his policies have helped raise wages among middle-income people and lower-income people. Uh, uh, that's where his emphasis has been. Uh, Trump talks like a champion of the middle class, but governs like an economic royalist. And the centerpiece of his uh, administration was a gigantic uh, budget-busting tax cut that really did favor people in the upper-income brackets. Uh, Biden has a good comparison to make, but he, uh, he shouldn't get into side uh, debates about, you know, uh, silly comments by Trump. Well, they both um, they both are, seem to agree on Herbert Hoover, which is actually uh, not the issue that I think a lot of people would think we're going to talk about. But I believe, Margaret, that is what you I take just, issue with here. I would just like Margaret oh. Hoover. I would just like for Democrats and Republicans. The great, great granddaughter. One great. My, it was a great grandfather. I never knew him. He died in 64. I was born in 77. But will Democrats just bury the 90-year-old talking point from the early 20th century and recognize the Great Depression was a unique event in American history? FDR couldn't solve it. Hoover couldn't solve it. We've learned a lot about modern macroeconomics since then. And well, it's time. It, was, it wasn't actually. Margaret, it was, it, was, it was Trump who brought it up. He said he didn't want to be. I, I know. Actually, I might say you might is not a Republican. You might actually be agreeing Wh with whatever, Trump here. Whatever your saying, grandfather, yeah. uh, wherever he is, he doesn't. He should be happy that Donald Trump doesn't want to be him. That, that's the tell that Donald Trump isn't a Republican because the Republicans <laughs> wouldn't die now. Aaron, <laughs> All right, Aaron, quick final, I, David. Aaron, yeah. I would just say this. Yeah, I, I would just say this. Voters are, are going to have to answer the question they answer every four years. Are you better off now than you were at the beginning of my administration? Until voters feel that they're better off under Biden than they were under Trump, Biden's going to keep failing that test. All right. Thank you all very much. And next, Nikki Haley bringing in support from independents who say this. I will do anything in my power to make sure that Trump does not become our next president. But is that enough to defeat Trump even in New Hampshire? Our Voters Out Front report is next. Plus, more breaking news tonight. The sordid details of an alleged affair between the Fulton County DA who's investigating Trump and one of the prosecutors on her team. The DA now claiming the prosecutor's wife is the one meddling in the case. Is all of this going to come out to help Trump and hurt Fonnie Willis's credibility? And is Kim Jong-un closer than ever to launching an all-out nuclear war? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And you are looking at live pictures out of New Hampshire, where CNN will host a town hall with Nikki Haley tonight, just five days before the state's primary, which may be do or die for her campaign. And Haley, meantime, is ramping up her attacks on the front runner, Donald Trump. I mean, Trump says things. Americans aren't stupid to just believe what he says. The reality is, who lost the House for us? Who lost the Senate? Who lost the White House? Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Let's talk about the truth instead of talking about the lies that he continues to say. All right, well, this comes as Haley tries to court voters across New Hampshire to take down Trump. But actually, and this is really interesting, some of the voters that she's courting may not be who you think they are. And that is why Jeff Zeleny is in New Hampshire with this Voters Out Front report. I will do anything in my power to make sure that Trump does not become our next president. Nancy Protzman has long wanted to vote against Donald Trump. But after seeing Nikki Haley today, she said she finally found someone to vote for. I liked what she said, and I don't want Biden either. Protzman is a voter stuck in the middle, a critical piece of the New Hampshire electorate. Have you voted in the past for Republicans and Democrats? Yes. Yes, I have. I voted for both. Thanks for being here. So good to see you. To keep the Republican race alive, Haley is trying to stitch together a coalition of independents and moderates in New Hampshire, a state Trump lost in the 2016 and 2020 general elections. Danielle Brown has voted for candidates of both parties over the years. On Tuesday, she intends to back Haley to send a message to Republicans. They don't have to be fearful and just simply jump on the Trump bandwagon. He's a bully, but and some people feel that they have to go with him. Trump is trying to keep Republicans in line, hoping to blunt Haley's rise. Nikki Haley in particular is counting on the Democrats and liberals to infiltrate your Republican primary. His rallying cry is false. Democrats are not allowed to vote in the Republican primary. In New Hampshire, more than 343,000 voters are undeclared. Those voters make up nearly 40% of the electorate, more than registered Republicans or Democrats. What Trump may not know is that Haley's rallies are filled with plenty of voters like Susan Rice, who once supported the former president. I will be upfront and honest with you. I supported Trump in 2016. I voted for him in 2020. Rice is exhausted by Trump and excited by Haley's potential to rebuild the Republican Party. I don't necessarily worry about the court cases, um, but it's 
the baggage and honestly, sometimes what comes out of his mouth. Thank you for coming. Did you like what you heard? Belinda Tarancho is a lifelong Republican. She first saw Haley a year ago and has supported her ever since. I'm very glad I had someone else to choose from. Meaning someone other than Donald Trump. Exactly. He, he was a good president for the time, but this is not the time. We need unification. Haley is targeting undeclared voters from the suburbs to the seacoast, where Trump underperformed other Republicans like Governor Chris Sununu. I was going to vote for her to try to knock out Trump. I don't know if that's a good strategy or not, but but I do like her. I do. Mary Hoyle and her friend Colleen Smead don't always agree on politics, but they found common ground in Haley. Isn't that what democracy is? Hoyle said Trump's criticism against Haley could backfire in New Hampshire, which she believes may be one of the last places to slow his rush to the nomination. I don't think she's trying to infiltrate. Of course she's trying to get votes, but that's what she's supposed to be doing. And we have a ton of independence in this state. And the conversation between those two friends who went to a Haley rally, Aaron, was so interesting. One thought that Haley was a little too conservative. The other thought she was perhaps a little too moderate. But they did again find common ground in her candidacy. They believe she is a better choice for the Republican Party and indeed the country. But building this coalition of independents and, yes, some Republicans is key for Haley's success here. And it could well determine how long this Republican presidential race goes on. All right, Harry. Jeff Zeleny in New Hampshire. So Harry Anton is here with me. So Harry, everybody watching this around the country, because obviously New Hampshire is something, even South Carolina, her home state isn't, right? This role of independence. Yes. Um, that is her general election strength. But in New Hampshire, when you look at the numbers, how many independent voters does she actually have to get to beat Trump? Yeah, so, you know, right now, if you look at Republican primaries of past and you look at the polling for this particular primary, uh, Folks who aren't registered with a party registered independence or those who aren't yet registered and will register day of, they're going to make up somewhere, historically speaking, between 40 and 50 percent of the electorate. Right now, our last CNN poll had it at 45 percent. My guess, looking at the numbers, based upon the current percentage of Republicans who are going to vote for Haley and the current percentage of independents who will, that number may have to go above 50 percent. So it is a tough road to hoe. But the fact is, it could happen. It's this idea of independence not voting in New Hampshire, as Donald Trump's trying to argue, they always vote in New Hampshire. They always vote as right, these so numbers It's always between indicate. 40 and, four, well, in the past three, 40 to 47. So yeah. 50 is not out of the realm, it's but it not. would be by significantly the highest. It, it would, it, she would have to beat what has normally happened in history, but not by that much. Okay, so it's a, that, that's tough, but not impossible. But we want the reality here. So then the specific group of voters that Haley is doing extremely well with. Um, how closely do you watch this uh, college-educated ed Republican vote, which, by the way, I should note, in Iowa, went for Trump? It went for Trump. But in New Hampshire right now, the polling shows it's going for Haley. We actually found a crosstab where she is ahead of Donald Trump, and it is among college-educated, likely GOP voters in New Hampshire. She's not only doing better amongst them than she did in Iowa, even nationally, even though this is a better group for Haley than, say, non-college-educated voters, Trump is still ahead nationally. In New Hampshire, she's ahead. She's going to have to pull in a larger margin than that, most likely. But the fact is, those voters, especially in the southern part of the state, perhaps around Hanover, New Hampshire as well, uh, that's in the western part of the state along the Connecticut River Valley, she's going to have uh, to do very, very well amongst those voters if she wants to win there. Okay, so now, one of her big backers is the co-founder, uh, Ken Langone of Home Depot, a billionaire. Uh, he says he's ready to give Haley a nice sum of money. That's what he told the Financial Times. So, uh, but then he said, if she doesn't get traction in New Hampshire, you don't throw money down a rat hole. 
Uh, and that's that's why people love Ken who love him because he's he um, speaks like that. Yes. Okay. He's got a net worth of nearly eight billion dollars. Yes. We looked at how much money he gave. So back when he backed Christie, and he's always you know always hoped for Christie, but now obviously that's gone. Twenty sixteen, a quarter million dollars to a pro Christie super PAC. How much money? Uh, how much could he help her if he were to get in? Yeah, I mean it would help her significantly. Look, Haley has been fundraising more and more money. You know, last quarter was by far her best quarter. She raised uh, upwards of uh, twenty five twenty four million dollars. That was more than double what she raised in the third quarter. But Donald Trump raised $45 million in the third quarter, significantly more than her. She's going to need a lot more fundraisers like Langone to get in on her side if she wants a chance, because without money, uh, political campaigns die. Right, and die really fast. Die very fast. Uh, All right, thank you very much. Thank you. And don't miss the CNN Town Hall with Nikki Haley tonight at 9 Eastern. And meantime, next, the breaking news. The Fulton County DA, Bonnie Willis, is fighting back against allegations of an affair with her lead prosecutor in the Trump case, tonight making major accusations of her own. Plus, Prince William visiting his wife in the hospital. So what do we really know about Kate Middleton's health? Special report from London. Tonight, Attorney General Merrick Garland, emotional in an exclusive interview with CNN as a new DOJ report finds the massacre in Uvalde, Texas, in which 19 children and two teachers were killed, could have been stopped much sooner. Other those people would be alive. Here's what Garland told our Evan Perez shortly after visiting the elementary school where this horror took place. Being there, seeing how small the two schoolrooms are and their, their attachment to each other, the holes in the wall left by the shooters, the places where the children tried to hide. You think of a child shot and left in a classroom, a small classroom, with the shooter uh, who's still shooting uh, for more than an hour uh, when law enforcement could have come in and rescued and and, and conducted a rescue. Uh, it's It's just not a pain that's ever going to go away. Evan Perez is out front from Uvalde tonight. And Evan, what else did the attorney general tell you about the, this mass shooting and now the DOJ's investigation? Well, Aaron, this has been an emotional couple of days. The attorney general spent the night here in Uvalde. He uh, did a tour uh, down at the town square where there are these, uh, these murals that have been painted uh, for those children uh, who were killed in that massacre. Uh, and one of the things that uh, he told me was, uh, you know, obviously spending time with the family members. He met with them uh, behind me here in, the, in, in a room here uh, at this building behind me uh, with the Associate Attorney General uh, Vanita Gupta. They took questions from the family members for more than two hours. And the, one of the things that the family members are asking for is obviously accountability. One of the one of the hopes is that as a result of this report and some of the things that were found uh, that were seriously la- lacking in the federal, I'm sorry, in the law enforcement response that day, that local authorities will take further action, uh, perhaps uh, maybe uh, getting rid of some of the police officers who are still on the police force here in Uvalde. All right. Now, I know you also, as part of your your conversation, you you talked about that and the other uh, major legal cases going on right now that you're covering, including the special counsel Jack Smith's election case against former Trump, President Trump. So today the judge hinted uh, that that trial, which was supposed to begin in six weeks, could be delayed. What did Garland tell you, Evan, about this case and the timing? 
Well, he defended the effort by the Justice Department, by the special counsel, Jack Smith, to try to keep that trial date, trying to get this trial started uh, ahead of the election. As you know, Aaron, the Justice Department has rules that uh, prohibit taking, taking, taking certain actions to stay away or staying out of the way uh, of elections. And so that's one of the questions I had for him was asking uh, certainly whether uh, the timing of that, uh, of that trial presents a problem for the Justice Department. Listen to his response. Is there a date in your mind where it might be too late to bring these trials to fruition? Uh, again, to stay out of, out of the way of the elections and, uh, as the department policies well, I'd, require. I'd say you know, what I said, which is that the cases were brought last year. Prosecutor has urged speedy trials, um, uh, with which I agree. Um, and this is now in the hands of the judicial system, not in our hands. And Aaron, that's uh, certainly the most extensive uh, comments we've heard from the Attorney General on the subject of these trials of the former president. Obviously, uh, we are all now waiting to see whether uh, the former president's effort to appeal this uh, to the appeals court and, of course, to the Supreme Court, whether that succeeds in trying to prevent these trials from happening uh, this year. Aaron? All right, Evan, thank you very much in Uvalde tonight. Ryan Goodman's with me now, our, our outfront legal expert. So let's just start with what Evan just played there. The attorney general talking about the timeline, which is something that he's not done before, right? So it's obviously just significant that he wouldn't say it at all. But when you hear that answer, you do hear something very specific. What is it? I do. So the legal community has always wondered if the Justice Department's 60-day rule, where they don't take any overt action in an investigation, applies to the start of the trial. In other words, if we're 60 days out from the November elections, do they just stop in their tracks and say we can't proceed any further? I hear the Attorney General, A, not saying that the 60-day rule applies, and B, strongly suggesting it does not. He says it's not in our hands. It's not our call. It's the court's call. And he also says the decision mm. was taken to indict last year. So that decision... Right, he's emphasizing we, we, we did our part. That's right. But, but what you're saying is that he's implying as long as he can get it started within 60 days, it wouldn't stop. There's right. some who would say that even if you've started, that you hit 60 days, if you're not done, it just goes on hold. That's right. Or we're all waiting for what the Supreme Court will decide. Do they actually hand it back down to the district court? And then the question is, is it in a 60-day window? Can they start? He yeah. seems to be saying, we can start. It's the court. It's up to the courts. It's not in our hands. Um, so a new hearing has been scheduled in the Georgia election case. I want to ask you about this. This is uh, allegations of the district attorney, Fannie Willis. She is an elected Democrat, uh, uh, is romantically involved with the person she chose as her lead prosecutor, Nathan Wade. Uh, and he was then, uh, you know, billing by the hour to do this. Uh, and that, you know, so she hires him. They're having this affair. And they take the money that she pays him and spend it on things for themselves, vacations and other things like that. There's a hearing now this judge is going to hold on February 15th, um, and uh, they're asking Fannie Willis to respond to these allegations. She has not responded yet. Um, uh, she's been silent. So can you just explain why, if there was a romantic relationship and she's paying him this money and they're using it to do things together, tell me exactly why that it, what the problem is. So the strongest form of the argument is, and it's a pretty good argument, that there's a conflict of interest, that they are, the two of them are profiting off of the investigation, that she's paying him at this rate where he's billing extraordinary hours. I mean, one, it looked like 24 hours in one day, which is obviously BS if it occurred. Yep. And then it's also an, an astronomical amount for a prosecutor in Georgia on a yearly basis. 
That's the argument, and that she hires him, and they're romantically involved when she hires him, mm. and he's not very qualified for the position. He's never tried a federal, fel he's never tried a felony case, not federal, felony case. Right. He's never defended a felony case, according to the allegations, and according to the public record, New York Times, et cetera, that's the argument. And so the judge saying, I'm going to hear an argument, I'm going to have an evidentiary hearing, and the Fannie Wallace has to respond. I don't think that's what she wants to hear. It seems like the judge is taking it seriously. Yeah, well, I mean, the way you lay that out, those are those seem to be very serious things. Um, and, you know, taxpayer dollars are what's being used to do these things. So uh, people deserve an answer. All right, thank you very much, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And next, a nation searching for answers after the Princess of Wales was suddenly hospitalized and going to be hospitalized for weeks and then out of the public eye for months. So tonight we are learning more about it. And North Korea may be closer than ever to all-out war as it is looking to exploit uh, the chaos around the world, we have a special report. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. So tonight, Prince William visited his wife in the hospital. She's recovering from what we've been told is abdominal surgery. The Princess of Wales remains in a private London hospital where she could spend the next two weeks. The royal family is trying to keep her diagnosis under wraps, only saying that her public schedule will be put on hold until sometime in April as she recovers, which of course is a dramatic shift, a shocking shift for a very, very active princess. Max Foster is out front. Loved and admired, a royal health scare has caught the nation by surprise. When on Wednesday, Kensington Palace shared that Catherine, the Princess of Wales, needed medical treatment. It circulated questions about the condition of one of the most senior royals' health, who, aside from having morning sickness during a pregnancy, has never had any known health problems while she's been a royal. Now she's forced to stay out of the public eye for up to three months until doctors give her the all clear. Last seen over Christmas with her family at Sandringham, the Princess of Wales lives an active lifestyle by having a regular royal schedule of engagements, some 120 last year, and by being a hands-on mum, looking after her three children. She still finds time to enjoy the outdoors and keeping up her favourite hobbies like skiing and working out, all to keep the princess fit and healthy. Her relatability to the public has made her a role model amongst adoring fans who might try to catch a glimpse of her at Wimbledon, where she's regularly seen every summer watching the games. A patron of the All England Lawn Tennis Club, the princess's interest in the sport extends beyond the annual championships. Known to enjoy cooking for the Prince of Wales and her children, Catherine has even been spotted stocking up at a British supermarket showing that she doesn't like to rely on staff for shopping and trying to maintain a normal lifestyle. But now all the appearances slow down as Catherine recovers and with Prince William juggling childcare at home, the couple have cancelled all travel plans for the foreseeable future. With King Charles and two other senior royals taking a back seat, heads turn to Queen Camilla and other members of the family to step up as the public faces of the royal household. 
to reassure Britons that all is fine and that it's business as usual. We are actually getting more detail in these medical bulletins than we normally would from the palaces, perhaps suggesting a new era of openness in the royal family. Erin. All right, Max, thanks very much to you. And of course, uh, uh, perhaps more transparent than in the past, but still at this point, um, they're not saying what it is. Out front now, Dr. Jonathan Reiner, uh, CNN medical analyst and cardiologist. And Dr. Reiner, the palace has said this was a planned surgery, not an emergency one. They, they have been clear and transparent in saying that it is not a cancer diagnosis. But other than abdominal surgery, um, they haven't said anything else. I mean, what do you make of this? Well, we know that uh, she's had uh, a rather extensive operation. Uh, we know that because the palace announced that she's going to be uh, in hospital for 10 to 14 days. So that speaks to the, to the rigor and extent of the operation. And we also know that it's going, she's going to be you know, recovering out of the public eye for you know, two, to three, two to three months. Uh, and uh, there aren't a lot of procedures that, uh, these days that require such extensive uh, recovery. You know, for example, if you have an abdominal operation such as a cholecystectomy to take your gallbladder out, you know, that's an outpatient procedure almost, basically most of the time, and just a f really several days to recover before you get back to work. You can have open heart surgery uh, and be out of the hospital in less than a week and back to work in three weeks. So uh, the Princess of Wales is, it, you know, has had a, you know, a large operation and it's going to require a long time uh, to recover. You know, one other thing, you know, we try and get people out of the hospital as quickly as possible because you can get infections in the hospital and it's always yeah. better to recover at home. Right. And with her resources, she can have basically as much help as she, as she needs, physical therapy, nurses, you know, IV infusions. So again, when you keep a patient in a hospital, you're keeping them because they need treatment that they can't get at home and she can get just about anything at home. All right. So when you say only a few things could be that, and obviously I emphasize we don't know what it, what it is, but what, what, what are those? Well, you know, we're told that she doesn't have cancer, which, which is wonderful. There are some uh, operations, for instance, for pancreatic cancer that uh, would easily keep people in the hospital for, you know, for two weeks. Uh, you know, other abdominal operations such as, uh, you know, a colectomy or a partial colectomy, those can keep people in the hospital for a while. I don't want to speculate on, on what uh, kind of surgery the princess has had. Um, you know, these are difficult, you know, disclosure for public officials, you know, can be very uh, difficult. I'm not sure anyone really has the right to know, but, you know, the British people probably have a need to know. She's part of the fabric of their, of their country. She's essentially, yeah. I guess, you know, the queen in waiting. And, you know, she has a relationship with, with the folks in her country. So yeah. at some so point, it, I think pretty profound out. the way you said it, maybe not a right, yeah. but a need. Uh, and right. and she has a, you know, a right to, uh, and a need for her privacy. And yet, of course, um, as she is, as she has much more than that. Um, so we'll see if they do. They do soon give uh, soon give more information. Dr. Mm -hmm. Reiner, thanks so much. My pleasure. And next, a top North Korea expert telling CNN that North Korea is now preparing for war, all out war with inspiration from Vladimir Putin. A special report is next. Plus, near-total communications blackout in Gaza is now stretching into its seventh day. We have been able to get one dispatch from inside. The sewage water is filling the streets. Tonight, North Korea on the verge of war. The stark warning about Kim Jong-un getting closer than ever to launching an all-out war is as a top White House national security official is warning that the threat from North Korea could change drastically. That is the exact word that was used, given its recent military cooperation with 
Russia, and Vladimir Putin. Will Ripley is out front. Tonight, the Korean Peninsula staring down the barrel of a catastrophic conflict. That warning from one of America's leading nuclear scientists, one of two longtime North Korea observers, who say Kim Jong-un is sending signals in state media. He may be prepared to take advantage of global chaos to exploit what he sees as weakness and vulnerability between the U.S. and close allies South Korea and Japan. They're talking about war. They're talking about war preparations for their country. And so we're quite uh, concerned. For years, former Los Alamos director Siegfried Hecker had unparalleled access to North Korea's highly secretive nuclear program, seeing more than almost any American. What he's seeing now, he says, reminiscent of the lead-up to the catastrophic Korean War more than 70 years ago. A chilling shift in leader Kim Jong-un's strategy, far more than the usual saber rattling. I think this time it's different. He may have decided... Uh, that it is time uh, to actually take some actions. For the past 30 years, North Korea's goal was normalizing ties with the U.S. Hecker says that ended in 2019, when summit talks in Hanoi, Vietnam collapsed. Former President Donald Trump and Kim walked out, humiliating and infuriating the North Korean leader, riding his armored private train back to Pyongyang, empty-handed perhaps giving up on U.S. diplomacy, making a strategic turn towards conflict. He may believe that there actually, there is some way, sort of what one would say, what's a path to victory, that he may be thinking very differently than what our conventional thinking is. Kim's confidence may be bolstered, he says, by closer ties with China and a deepening military alliance with Russia. North Korea's Foreign Minister Chae Son-hee visiting Moscow just this week, also labeling South Korea a hostile country. This is a political provocation. And not just political. North Korea testing a new hypersonic missile, potentially nuclear capable, adding to Kim's growing arsenal. And tonight, experts say that arsenal already poses a credible threat to tens of thousands of U.S. troops across this region in places like South Korea, Japan, Guam. Some missiles Aaron believed to be capable of even striking the U.S. mainland. Kim also has the world's fourth largest standing army, well over a million strong, which is why experts say diplomacy and military deterrence are crucial here. All right. Well, Ripley, thank you very much from Taipei tonight. And next, we have an exclusive dispatch from inside Gaza, uh, which is very hard to get because communications have been down there for a full week. Tonight, the blackout. A near total communications blackout in Gaza has now hit the one-week mark. There's no sign of it letting up at this point. The purple line that you're looking at there shows connectivity since the war began. The drops are outages. This one is noticeably longer than any of the others, and its effect, of course, can't be overstated. No phone line, no internet access makes it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to get any humanitarian aid into the enclave to communicate with anybody. It did, we have, though, in, in, in occasional moments, uh, you can get a breakthrough. We were able to get one dispatch from inside Gaza from Mahmoud Shalabi, the aid worker we've been talking to since the war began. You've heard a lot from him. He reached us on a borrowed phone with a special SIM card. That's how he did it, and he's telling us what it's like right now, where he is. 
The sewage water is filling the streets. Uh, there are no pavements. Uh, there are no streets, basically. Everything has been obliterated and wiped out. Um, it's really difficult um, to maintain our dignity as Palestinians living in the north of Gaza. Losing their dignity is a fight for survival, as Mahmoud describes it. And it is continuing for so many in Gaza who are suffering tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 